Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheney Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is a fellow hockey podcaster who also occasionally dabbles in playing hockey on the side. It's uh, it's my buddy Connor Kara. Connor, what's going on, man? Well, that's certainly the truth these days, isn't it? Yeah. You know, right now as we're you know hanging out on quarantine, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The podcast game is more fruitful than the uh, playing professional hockey game. Yeah, right now, and and you don't need uh, twenty five thousand screaming fans in one area to you know. Do something with your audience. It's it's the power of the internet. It's the power to you know be more than you can be in more in one place more. You can be in more than one place at one time. Exactly. That's what I was looking for. Yes. Um, all right. So here's the plan today. I've, I've been wanting to do this one with you for a while. I've been trading some messages. Um, I kind of want to get into blending a bit of game theory with like and like theoretical data that you know I would use more in terms of like coming up with concepts and ways to optimize performance and stuff and then you as a player actually being able to speak to more of the sort of practical usage and utilization of it and I thought we could bounce some ideas off of each other and and pick each other's brains especially me picking your brain and and hopefully we'll have some fun talking about hockey and hopefully people will enjoy uh the the two perspectives or the two sides uh, coming together to talk about it yeah let's do it I'm excited to learn well the reason why I think you're especially an interesting guest, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got your own podcast and we can talk about that more later. And uh, you, you've been speaking about a variety of topics, but the the position you play, the defense, right? Like for me, it's something that it's eluded me for so long as an analyst 
uh, like goaltending, I can fully admit, like I never played goalie or, uh, you know, the, they're kind of their own separate animal. And you just sort of like, you know, the, the old joke, goaltending is voodoo. You don't know what you're going to get year to year from a goalie's performance. It's all over the place. I kind of just can chalk that up with defensemen. Like I'd like to think that we'd be able to analyze the performance of defensemen and defensive play more, but it's been such a, it's been like eluding analysts like myself because it's really tough uh, with how much the games change to say like what, what is good defense? You know what I mean? Like what, like what is it? What does it look like? Because ultimately, the best defensive play is probably one where you yourself uh, read the play well. You're ahead of it five seconds in advance. You get into good position, and the uh, opposing opposing team can't even get the puck to attack in a, in a dangerous area because you're already there, right? So it's like this idea that you did your job by not allowing anything to happen. How do we quantify that? In your mind, as the game's kind of been evolving and, and you're playing the position yourself, like the requirements of it, what, what what's in your mind if you close your eyes and you're like, I did my job really well here. What is good defense at the NHL level look like in, in 2020? So to me, when I'm trying to, understand my own game and kind of give myself a star rating out of five maybe you know you have to take into context i think the way the game went so for example if you're on a poor team where these games are consistently tough games um and you're just taking rush after rush and you're defending you know time and time again it's a really hard game to justify where you're at because you're kind of at the mercy of the other nine guys on the ice like that is what good defense is is are you in the right spot at the right time relative to what the other nine guys are trying to do and, and where the puck is on a bad team. You know, sometimes that might be, you're just sitting in your own slot all night trying to do box out after box out. And, and if no one's able to get a stick on it and you know, there were a couple breakout plays where you're able to exit through the middle and get clean entry on a tough night where you're just in your own end, like that might be a, a good game relative to the, the hand you were dealt Right. Ideally, your team's competitive every night, and that's where you can really get a truer sense of, for me, how often am I able to put the uh, puck carrier or the other team in a tough spot based on, you know, there's a there's an element of smothering, right? Like, I have my guy, and because of that, the player is now under more duress for trying to beat someone on their own, you know, yeah. somewhere else up the, up the rank, where someone else's job is that much easier for us to do on the defensive side, harder for them to do on the offensive side. Um, gap is a huge one. Uh, I would say how much time can you spend in your own end or how little time, how quickly and influential can you be in terms of breaking pucks out and, and breaking plays up where you can create transition. And then after that is where you start to, those are all non-negotiables. Every coach is going to ask you to do those things. And, and there's certain players that, you know, are bigger, faster, stronger, smarter at, at doing that. Uh, and then once you get the puck back, that's where I think you kind of get the different tiers of defensemen where certain guys are just so dynamic offensively and they're able to create a whole plethora, you know, plethora of options that the average team just isn't staring at. And I'm thinking of like a Kale McCarr, for example, like that type of explosion at our position just didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago. It's, fun. uh, it's funny. You, you know, no, it's funny you bring that up. Mir- you, 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 spoke, you played with Miro, but it's funny you bring that up because like when I was thinking about how much the position has evolved, when quarantine started back in the spring uh, as a project of mine in the podcast, I was going back and watching old games, old classics. And like, it's not even going back that far. I went back to the 2009 Stanley Cup final when the Red Wings and the, and the Penguins were playing. And that was only a decade ago. 
And just like what stuck out to me the most was, and with all due respect to the players involved, like you've got like Mark Eden and, and, and Hal Gill and Rob Scuderi and Brad Stewart, and they're treating the puck like a grenade almost sometimes where it's like, as soon as it gets on their stick, they're just dumping it off the glass and out. And it just looks like an entirely different sport almost compared to, you know, your typical regular season game that you'd watch in, in 2020, where every defenseman seemingly can, you know, get the puck and comfortably at least make some sort of a elusive first play where they evade a four checker and get it out of their zone or do something constructive with it as opposed to just quickly uh, kind of frantically getting rid of it. It's almost, I almost consider like the rocking chair demon where when you talked about some of the demon of, of the old world, you know, what were some of the things that they did well? Oh, they're always positionally sound. They're always in the right spot. Uh, they have unbelievable poise with the puck. They're super calm and wait for the option to present itself, and then they're able to make that little slip play. And you think of it, like you think of Sergei Gonchar kind of coming up the rank with two, and, and he was unbelievable offensively, and I'm not taking anything away from Sergei Gonchar, but like, you know, there was a, a steadier pace to his game. Nick Lidstrom, when you think about Nick Lidstrom carrying the puck, um, you know, he was, uh, it, you would say about Lidstrom, like he was always in the right spot, positionally he was so sound. Well, like someone like Miro, he he's not only in the spot he's supposed to be in like he's able to cover spots that he has no business being able to with his ability to skate and so i think that like anything that just the tools uh on display at our position now are there's there's a challenge to have greater and greater tools year in year out particularly with skating and i think that that's going to continue to be the case you can just be more places more quickly when you're able to get there um, you know, if your feet uh, are doing what your, you know, head so wants you to be able to do, you know, it's a hard thing uh, to, to put into words. But that's what I think of when I think of the next wave, like just a bunch of Megatrons out there flying around and, and you know, killing plays. Well, I guess part of what makes it difficult evaluating that as well, you, you mentioned Heiskanen, he might be sort of the um, rare example here where, you know, he can be an offensive defenseman where he can lead the rush with the puck, but he can also then quickly turn around and be the first player back. And so you don't necessarily have to worry that much about pairing your kind of traditional stay-at-home defenseman with him. We see coaches kind of love that, right? If you have like a Kale McCarr and you're Jared Bednar, you love to play him with like a Ryan Graves because you know he'll be like a bit steadier and he'll stay back and be a bit more conservative, more defensively minded. You know, Quinn Hughes and and, uh, and Chris Tanev, like coaches really seem to love that sort of dynamic. And that's part of what makes... Uh, evaluating the defensive position so complicated to me it's where I think you can probably speak to this more but you you probably are a bit reliant on the the circumstances as well where I imagine if you're playing with a partner who can do certain things better than others like your strategy of the way you might attack the play might change right like if you feel comfortable with a guy where you know that your partner is going to lead the breakout you might focus on other stuff whereas if you're playing with a more sort of traditional stay-at-home defenseman all of a sudden you might be pushing the envelope a bit more and being a bit more aggressive yourself yeah and it does and i think you see it kind of set up as like i don't know primary and complementary players on a pair right so and i think the idea is as simple as in football you only have you know one quarterback right like so you you give the ball to the best decision maker every time you can which is you know tom brady uh so a lot of times on these defense pairs like i think it just simplifies the game for both people when they have that complementary element where okay say you are you know maybe chris tanov who i you know don't know and and you know frankly don't watch a ton of Vancouver in my career just because I've always been closer to the East, even though they are fun to watch. I'll catch them every time I can. Um, 
he knows, you know, I imagine when you're playing with a, with a player with the puck play as good as Quinn Hughes, you know, in your mind, like you give it to the guy that's, you, you maximize his assets. You really have an interest in getting him the puck right away. And if you're Quinn Hughes, you love that because now there's an, uh, an extra element of predictability of the game. So now it's no longer like you're spending 0% of your brain space on anticipating the puck coming your way. You already have that rhythm where you know it. So now instead of, you know, Quinn might be looking to his right, you know, because Tanoff plays the right side, like now his gaze can turn up ice and he can start to evaluate, okay, what's coming on? Um, not unsimilar to, you know, certain uh, like power plays where there's just brutal confidence that the player is going to get through. Uh, similar to like the Washington Capitals, right? So Nick Backstrom's such an elite half wall guy. You know, John Carlson. A lot of power plays you'll see that top D man to get available will go to the wall, right? Will come out of the wall, get way out of the lane of the first forward, just to be extra available, extra safe, not have to go through any sticks and skates. Well, that, that lane isn't as good to pass to the weak side one-timer or to present a shooting threat yourself. So he just has such trust that Nick Backstrom's going to Rubik's Cube that top forward that he can just plant his ground. He's not going anywhere. Yep. Like, back he'll figure it out. Um, and I think that's a little bit of what happens uh, where, where both players are able to, you know, now Quinn Hughes knows exactly what he wants to do with the puck and Chris Tanev knows exactly what he wants to do with the puck. And I think it creates a level of predictability uh, and, and sort of like a, uh, it gets ingrained in the nervous system, almost like a, a football team running a play that they've run a gazillion times. You know, like there's both teams know they're going to try and go to, you know, Gronkowski in the red zone. And for whatever reason, the guy always comes out with it. Like, how is that? You know? Well, and the other, other thing is, and it's, this is what makes it so tough from the outside when you're watching tape on someone where, like, I have my certain preferences on, on what my ideal defenseman would do in terms of how often they shoot or what if they have a certain play open to them, whether they'd go for it. But they might do something which I completely disagree with, and they come back to their bench, and the coach is giving them a pat on the back saying, good job, you followed the game plan, and you did exactly what we wanted you to do, especially if you're playing more of a complementary second, third pair role, and, and you're not out there every other shift. And so we see that time and time again. Like the Stars were a great example um, where you know Rick Bonus comes in, becomes the head coach, and completely gives them a green light. And all of a sudden you see Jamie Oleksiak acting like Bobby Orr out there where he's flying up the rush and winding up behind the net all the time and trying to score goals. And it's because the mandate changed completely where all of a sudden they realized, oh, we want you actually to engage more offensively. Whereas with the previous coaching staff, it was much more of do sort of your job simplistically as a defenseman, avoid risks and get off the ice. And so in terms of sort of the, the job description, I think that also plays a huge, huge role in sort of the, uh, the performance. It's everything. I mean, when you go out, you can't really see it, but it's almost like one of those zap collars you'd put on a dog. Right. And as players, like these conversations are had behind closed doors of this is our culture. This is what we ask of our demon. Great play. And the flip side of, you know, Jamie or Connor Carrick, what are you doing during the rush there? Uh, if you have an appetite to do that, we can, you know, there's a nice spot, you know, at the American <laughs> League team to let you run up and down wherever you want. Yeah. And that, those conversations are had um, with just about, you know, every player, um, you know, up and down your lineup. And, you know, the, it's it's the coaches, it's their rule of the roost. It's, it's, that's why they're the head coach. They were hired for a reason. And uh, it's... I guess what I'm always trying to identify in the teams that are most fun for me to watch is when you can tell there's total coherence from top to bottom and 
okay, the GM wanted to draft a certain player with a certain tenacity or, or, or style of decision-making. Uh, he's armed the coach with, you know, the, the war chest of players and pieces to, to, to play this way. The coach is consistent in, in coaching it, and now the players have had time, you know, to be able to ingrain this in their DNA, and it just all works, you know. Um, similar to, you know, Washington, they've drafted high skill forever, and they're, they've always been this elite team off the rush and on the power play. You know, St. Louis just had, you know, size, and you were either, you know, big and strong when they won, or you had elite, you know, cutback ability where, you know, you were just kind of showering in grease, able to get away from a defenseman all the time. And they would just hold on to pucks. They were not a rush team. They were going to you know, pass up opportunities in the rush. They wanted to keep you in your own end for a minute and a half. And you could tell that there was great clarity in that. And uh, I think you see those moments all the time in games where, and I can think of it even in my own game, where I've taken shots. Maybe I don't like, you know, I took a shot where the goalie was staring straight at me. We know the odds on beating you know, Freddie Anderson or Carey Price, whatever, from the blue line on a wrist shot. Yep. It's slim to none if no, they you're can not see. Doing it. Yep. But sometimes the conversation's been had of like, hey, our forwards aren't getting there. Shoot it anyway. It's their job. And, and that's kind of the building nature of a team, hopefully towards a goal, you know, towards a, a, a playoff, a, a certain identity come playoff time. Um, and that's just sometimes a growing pains. Yeah, well... I guess that's sort of that that mandate of, of what to do, or sort of what um, a, a defenseman's role is, as has been evolving so much. I mean, you know, by the time you came into the league, it had already, I think, the dynamic had shifted. But it's been like it seems like every year, or every other year, it, it, it keeps moving uh, to, to more and more extremes. Where, like, a great example for me is a guy like Jared Spurgeon or Jacob Slavin. Like, I I marvel at their ability to play that smothering brand of defense that you're talking about without kind of knowing exactly where that line they can't cross is and pulling back at the right instant or not getting their hand caught in the cookie jar to take a penalty and they're constantly able to play good smothering defense without penalizing themselves sitting out for two minutes putting their team down a man and I like when I started in the industry and I I think it still is pertinent in some circles but you, you you still hear low penalty minute totals associated with soft play or not not being a strong defenseman and it's so like that dynamic to me is so funny to me of what um the nhl and and what i guess hockey in general sort of rewards or looks at as like good milestones to be hitting as like barometers for good defensive play yeah i mean my goal every year if i could have absolutely zero penalty minutes that would be ideal because there's nothing worse than sitting in that box knowing you took a poor penalty and, and, a, and a guy is going to have to, you know, throw his foot and, and, and break a foot or break a leg, you know, on a, on a Shea Weber one timer, or, you know, you go down uh, one on the road and you got to, you know, peel yourself out of the box and go back to the bench. Um, and I, I, I do the opposite. I'm always marveling at the guys that are able to keep it down. You know, the guys are able to defend and have active sticks, but they are, they're just always in the play close enough where there isn't that reaching element. There isn't that, you know, horizontal stick where you see, you know, the hands get out away from the body and the ref's arm go up. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's hooking and slashing and cross checking and interference on literally every single play all over the ice all night long. It's the outliers. It's the ones that were that, that hook just irritated that guy enough. And it's an art, you know, where, where you're able to, you're able to bother and enter the other guy's thought process enough 
so that they're not able to orchestrate the play that they want. You've started to enter into their mind. You've started to enter into their decision-making process. And as a D-man, that's always your goal. Well, okay, so I I wanted to talk to you about um, the idea of analytics and sort of data and and information and as a player, how you can use that to your advantage. Because I think... You know, it's it's really easy for reporters after a game to uh, to bait a player into being like, oh, um, you know, the the shot attempts here say that you weren't very good tonight, but your team won anyways. What do you what does that say about analytics? And then you have Tyler Sagan in the postseason being like, oh, well, I guess analytics are dumb because we're winning, so you know they must be wrong. And and that's such a um, you know unfortunate sort of way to go about it because I think it misconstrues the the value of it. And for yourself as a player, like I always always viewed it as I'm a firm believer that controlling the uh, supply chain of information is very important, right? So if you're an NHL team in an organization, you have someone in your staff that is able to synthesize all of this information, all this data, how you're breaking the puck out, how you're defending your zone, uh, all the stuff you're doing, and then put that into digestible little packets and then gives that to either the GM or the coach. And then as a coach, it's your job to sort of, you know, bring that to the player's attention in terms of game planning or, um, you know, pre-scouting when you're about to play someone, especially in a playoff series, let's say where you're going to be getting very familiar with a team playing them uh, four to seven times in a row. And that can give you a little bit of a leg up when, when the margin for error is so small. So that's where I think the value is. And for you as a player, um, you know, obviously you don't want to be bombarded because it is such a read and react sport and everything's happening so fast. You can't just be as a, as a computer sitting back there and breaking everything down and then running the optimal play. But I do think in terms of knowing your opponent and sort of knowing where they'd like to attack you or knowing how certain guys, their tendencies and how they like to play, like you can't tell me that there isn't some sort of a, a functional value to that as a player. Whether it's in the off season during your training or preparation for the coming season, or whether it's before a playoff series or before a home and home with a team or, or, or what have you, like there's got to be some sort of a, a functional value to in just in terms of uh, extra information being useful. Yeah. I think there's a great market for it. Cause as a player, you know, you, you see it in football, right? Where they have such a study on the opponent because they only play one game a week. There's yeah. time for it. And that's what, as a player, you're doing when you're watching someone's tendencies. You're just doing analytics in your head. You're just not writing down, you know, in charts and things like that, what the percentages are. But you're 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 taking mental note. You're starting, oh, okay, this guy really likes to jab step this way, or this guy really, uh, you really can't ride him too close as you're you're getting in on a, on a loose puck because he's he's really slippery and, and cuts back underneath. Um, and I think as a player, I'm interested in patterns. And I'm also interested in conversations around things that maybe would be unorthodox or we would consider risky where they're actually not. So, for mm-hmm. example, I might want to know, you know, as a young D-man, uh, you're told a lot of times, keep the puck out of the middle. Well, I've played for certain coaches young in my career where they really want to exit through the middle of the ice. So now all of a sudden, I'm being asked to make a play that for a long time has been taken out of my DNA, has, has been taken out of my toolbox. And, okay, it's, it's maybe a different read. Well, if someone could say, hey, Connor, like, I know you feel this play is risky, but pounding the puck into a wall where we know the demon's going to pinch and this is the percentage of the time it stays in, like, that's real risk. Yeah. Go back and play with a free mind and see that play. Don't don't force it. If you got to flip it out off the glass, fine. Defend the next rush. Um, but what's really risky is 
being predictable, you're going to keep it on the wall. Yeah. Like that's where you're able to mitigate, you know, fear or nerves or, or anxiousness out of a player. And really what you're able to get is buying into the system. And I think it's really important just because the game, the schedule happens so fast that analytics I would feel are a great tool to identify patterns and nip them in the bud instead of, you know, let's say there's a, a five to 10 game period as a demon. I just don't feel like I'm getting, you know, shots through, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm getting any scoring opportunities. I haven't had any, you know, tips for goals. Like these are things that I, you know, take a lot of pride in a lot of value in, and being able to do. Uh, and a coach is, and I've gone through this. A coach has shown me like, you're just fading outside the dots so much. Like it's, it's, it's so safe. I know it feels comfortable out there, but you're really not as open as you feel. You're, you're a mile from your D man when he gets to you instead of, Hey, why can't you stand a little bit more in the middle of the rank, have more tip options available to you so you're not as easy, you know, of a shot to block and, it, and, and come into the puck a little bit into the middle. And it's interesting. My first, I think it was one of my first as a devil. I had just had a video session with uh, a private coach that I use in Chicago. Brian King was his name. And this was the conversation. Connor, I think, you know, uh, at the end of your stay in Dallas, we're staying outside the dots. Like, let's really try to with a step or two as that puck's coming towards you, D to D at the offensive blue line. Can you take a step into it and just sift it by that guy from a better angle? I think you'll have more net to tip into. And I think I had uh, two assists my first NHL game uh, with the Devils doing that. Well, I think I had one and one. One was a fadeaway, but one was the first one. I think was coming towards it across the grain. We'll, we'll give you, we'll give you the second assist there as well. Um, no, it's, it's interesting because like, so when uh, Daryl Morey parted ways with the Rockets recently, um, there was someone I forget who the Twitter user was, but they put together this sort of shot chart of how much NBA tendencies had changed, where people were shooting the ball from when he like started with the team in 2008 to how much it had changed in 2020, and it basically showed that like every team started adopting that model of threes and, and layups, right? Where it's like the mid-range just completely got eradicated and every team started either trying to optimize their possessions. And Michael McCurdy did something recently as well, showing from 2008 to 2020 in hockey how the heat maps show that the tendencies for teams have completely changed where that middle of the ice, whether it's strategically by, by the opposing defenses or whether it's... Um, trying to optimize your own offense has completely gone out of the picture. It's, it's, it's dark blue. And then the red dots are in front of the net. And then basically from the two points. And that's so that's sort of give and take and that chess match of like, and we saw it in the Stanley cup final, right? Where Dallas was the best team at keeping the puck out of the middle of the ice. And Tampa Bay was the best team at getting the puck into those high danger areas. And ultimately Tampa Bay and their talent wound up coming out on top and, and persevering. But that interplay of, um, you know, the opposing defense wanting to limit you to something and then you having to tactically find a way around it is probably the most like appealing part to me as an analyst in, in hockey. And, and it's a shame because we see it's much easier to break down that way in in football and in basketball because it's a bit more a bit less free flowing, whereas in hockey, it's a bit more random and there's more uh, events with the puck just flying around. But I do still think there is a place for it in our game. Totally agree. And I mean, I think about it as a D-man, and I've been able to play under some, you know, really high-profile, high-success uh, coaches, you know, across the league in, you know, my still short career, I guess. And uh, it's interesting even to listen to them on the different verbiage they'll use, the different ways that they'll try to get to middle ice, uh, the different ways, the different risks that they're willing to accept 
um, you know, to get there, the different breakout schemes that they want to use. Like I remember when we were in Toronto, like our conversation was uh, go back on a puck and I want all guys uh, to be available for it and calling for it. Sounds super simple, but when you actually watch, if you come back on a breakout and you watch a lot of NHL teams, like pause the clip when the demon first touches the puck and tell me which guy has the posture that actually is commanding. Was that like, no one wants it actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll see these uh, tells in play that to me is so wildly interesting. And I'll, I'll try and pick apart it, pick it apart in my own game where, all right, Connor, like you're standing outside the dots in the neutral zone, completely stationary. Like how excited do you think you, how confident were you that night? How excited were you to get that puck? And for me, I'm really interested in how can I get more consistent performance when my nervous system skates, hands, eyes, everything feels good. And what are some of the tells of when I'm not playing well? Can I just avoid those things like the plague, no matter what, like, can I force myself to get going and, and, believe and trust that you know my system that i've spent so much time training can automate you know when i am trying to take someone on you know one-on-one because like what i do know for example in the nhl someone's always attacking and someone's always defending someone's always playing offense and someone's always playing defense and that's not always in respect to who has the puck right <laughs> like yes. there's a lot of guys playing defense while they're carrying the puck like they're thinking i have the puck but i'm trying to put this in a position to not create any harm yep you know, they're, they're really defending. Um, and it's fascinating. You watch the different teams and you see the way that they are able to build a nervous system over the course of a season and really over the course of multiple. You know, really is what I've been able to see is it really does take years to develop a perennial contender. Like we've seen Tampa stick to its guns, draft and develop and, and acquire free agents around this ability to make plays through the middle of the rank for years. Yep. Um, and good for them. They, they deserve to win. They had a stellar team. Um, but it's interesting when you're able to see it beautifully, you know, orchestrated the way that they did. Well, that's why as, as fast and free flowing of a, of a sport as hockey is, especially at the highest level being played in the NHL. Um, it's still, there's still a human element of like tendencies that you wind up resorting to or, or falling back on or stuff that, whether it's just the way you trained or the way you're wired, you're kind of more comfortable with. And that's why like knowing the tendencies of your opponents is, is such a valuable thing to me because, um, and, and you see it like, here's a great example um, with the Washington Capitals power play where a common sort of question you get or, or uh, people pointing out or making, making uh, light of it is like, Oh, how come Alex Ovechkin is, is so wide open from that left circle. He scored a million goals from there. The, everyone in the building and watching at home knows where that Capitals power play wants to get the puck. But if you see, you know, TJ Oshie there in the middle of the ice, wide open by himself, you as a defenseman, you like in that split second, you find yourself kind of gravitating more towards him and sort of cheating because it is happening so fast that you just wind up sort of resorting to that. And the next thing you know, the puck is over to Ovechkin and, and you kind of had that one lap. So that's what's the fa- that interplay of um, sort of the human element of like waiting for someone to slip up and and, and sort of give in and make that uh, sort of mistake is, is, is so interesting to me. And it happens, uh, you know, countless times in any single game you watch. It is. And what I think is cool, I mean, you've got Nick Backstrom, who's, you know, probably the best half wall guy in the national hockey. Like the next pass that this guy makes that doesn't land flat will be his first. Like <laughs> everything is perfectly saucered, lands flat. 
Uh, and you'll notice too, even Ovi, he's not moving to get open. Like he's never outside that dot line. Like the responsibility, and I've been in their power play meetings, like part of the conversation is like, hey guys, we've got four other really skilled players. If they want to go over and sit on Ovi, they have, you know, plans that'll hurt, uh, you know, to, to make it hurt and score on the power play elsewhere, you know, otherwise. And they, and they do, they do do that consistently, just amongst those four, it's a little bit more distributed. So it's not as obvious as the amount of times that Ovi's able to pound it in the back of the net. Uh, but you'll notice there's a conversation around, hey, you four are, you know, good players, elite players. It's your job to figure out this penalty kill to draw them out of a position so that Ovi can stay in a good lane. Because if he drifts outside that dot lane, you know, the, the fifth and most important guy to beat on the penalty kill is the goaltender. And the angle gets worse and worse and worse the further out he gets. And the more and more time that puck, the longer it travels, you know, the goalie doesn't have to go that far. You know, so Ovi can be wide open, hammer this perfect shot. But if the, the pass takes long enough for the goaltender to get over there, it's irrelevant. I yep. mean, maybe not with him. He's able to beat <laughs> some goalies that are still in position. You yes. know, he's, he's, he's a monster. Well, but with those two guys, it almost makes it more impressive because, like, Backstrom, to his core, wants to pass the puck. And Ovechkin obviously wants to shoot it, right? Like, that's like, and that's why those guys have made such sweet music together for as long as they have because that, that synergy there is so perfect. Whereas you get to, you know, some more potential dual, dual threats, like with when Tampa's humming on all cylinders with their power play, especially with Kucherov, like, he has that great shot, but he also wants to do that cross seam pass. And if it's stamp goes standing there and he can also similarly either shoot it as one of the best shooters of generation or pass it back to Kucherov as a defender, you kind of, it's basically pick your poison where you're at their mercy and you're just like, you're dictating how they're going to beat you. And so that presents its own sort of set of challenges. And I imagine that's kind of like, I guess you're, you're sort of holding off for dear life and waiting and thinking, man, if I'm killing a penalty against these guys, maybe I'm just trying to drain the clock or maybe I'm, I'm trying to force him to make that perfect pass and it bounces on the ice and, and we'll get a, a sort of bounce go our, our way that way, because otherwise you're probably not stopping them. Well, it's a, it's a cat and mouse game that happens right at the moment of impact that they get that puck. Yeah. And it's, you know, as players, all we are is old school goalies, right? Like we're trying to give something and then think that you have it so we can take it away and, and block it. And you see this masterfully done by the elite penalty killers of the game where they're trying to give misinformation or they're trying to do a, a, a double cut. The issue is at the end of the day, the, the power of decision-making really does come down to the player with the puck. So if, you know, Kucherov decides to double pump that one timer as you were coming across, you know, and then uh, fade back towards the middle where he's got this elite angle to find two sticks, one on the, you know, goalie's immediate back door and then sort of in that diamond slot, you know, in the hash. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a fun part of the game, the, <laughs> the, the talent that these guys, you know, have and, and that I have, it's, it's, it, it's a privilege to play in this league. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast is Bet Online. You might not be going to a game this year as we wait for the world to sort itself out and for this pandemic to end and for it to be safe to go back to live sporting events, but in the meantime, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Obviously, there's no hockey or basketball on right now anymore with their seasons over, but football's still on. And down the road, when we know when the NHL season's going to be getting back, you're going to be able to go on there and start wagering on futures like championship, 
who do you think is going to win next season, Stanley Cup, wagering on wins, uh, you know, player props. There's going to be a lot of good stuff there. So uh, I recommend going there now and familiarizing yourself with it and trying it out and taking it for a spin and then getting ready in advance of the next season. So just head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses they've got there. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag to let them know that we sent you. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The NHL may be on a break, but your business isn't. And similar to teams who are looking for new players in free agency and looking for bargain deals and players that are going to be able to help them out moving forward, you similarly have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And that's where Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring, and you only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed's going to help you get the important hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed's offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, let's do some uh, quick kind of rapid-fire stuff here before we get out of here. What's, sure. what's the... Uh, What's the toughest player to defend in your mind? Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane for sure. Yeah. Just because of the puck skills? You just don't know where it's going to go? Him or, him or, him or McKinnon. Because I think, you know, McKinnon's such a bull. He, he likes to take off and he wants to go through people. And he just, he has a top speed threat that's just so strong. Uh, but Patrick Kane just, I play against him a lot of times in the summer in Chicago. He's in such unbelievable shape. Hmm. People don't realize like he's never tired. Um, he, he's always fresh, especially when the puck's on his stick. He will, if there's something available, he's going to execute it. And it's one of those things where you, you're in a tough spot. Do you you can't over-respect him because he'll pick apart the coverage on the backside, and those guys got to work like dogs. Uh, but if you really run at him, he's under such control and with such poise that He's going to be able to try and shake you too, and and I don't know. He's just he's a special talent. See, uh, I'm not surprised by the McKinnon answer because like it's clear, especially when you watch what he did this postseason, the sort of speed and power that he has is kind of unparalleled in the league. I would I would have thought you know the first answer for an NHL defenseman would be would be Connor McDavid just because of of the sheer speed and and, and well him too. I I've, yeah he those two McKinnon and McDavid just because they they play at a certain pace, um, but even. Like, I have had the challenge and the opportunity where, you know, we were on a West Coast swing with the Devils um, when I had first gotten traded there. And, uh, you know, Connor's, you know, such an elite skater. He hasn't been a lot of the time my matchup, just where I'm at in the lineup and where he's at in the lineup. But the opportunities we have been on the ice, he, he does. I just find that some of his tells, I think, are a little bit more obvious, mm. like in terms of what assets he's going to want to use uh he wants to outskate you and he's so good at it <laughs> yeah uh but a lot of times you're able to angle yourself uh to try to keep him to the outside and let him shoot which is tough mckinnon's just an interesting one i think because colorado in particular comes wave after wave after wave so sometimes it is 
a track meet style game, like uh, line one through four almost. Yep. And so there's going to be reads in a play where I remember there was a play um, similar in, in New Jersey where I was actually playing in the top half of the lineup there. I was playing in a top four role and I had joined a rush and someone tried to pass to me and it was kind of an ugly play, hit a skate or something. And McKinnon, who was on the back check, like started, you know, pumping that crossover. And, and there was like a moment, okay, do I lunge forward or does he get this puck? And so I decided to retreat knowing his top speed. I turned around. He was, I was, you know, already at the red line, far blue line. And he was still at his own blue line. Like he decided to pump the brakes and, and hang out and survey the play. He has that type of, you have to have that type of respect with him. You have to have that type of respect with Connor. Um, similar to even a Patrick Kane, like Leon Dreisaitl is very difficult, you know, to deal with because he wants to bring it close. He's so big and strong. Uh, he sees so good. Uh, just different ways that they'll beat you for sure. I, you know, when you were talking earlier in this podcast about gapping up and sort of how you'd view that as like a, sort of essential part of defending right and and it's especially become more prevalent as the game has opened up and, and teams are attacking more off the rush and players are, are um you know skating so much faster than they used to that it becomes uh much more of a priority to be able to do that as opposed to focusing on sort of your being a big lumbering meat and potatoes defenseman who just breaks up uh in zone cycles there is like there's very uh, the list of defensemen I think is very short who I think everyone in theory in their mind loves the idea of gapping up but then when you see like when you're talking about that McKinnon example where you have to make that split decision of should I go for it or should I in a kind of self-preservation tactic maybe take a few steps back here because I know how fast he can get you often see that a lot where even with smooth skating defensemen I think sometimes you're you're, you're taking one of those what two or three precautionary steps back as opposed to aggressively defending the blue line. And um, I think there's, that's what, that's what makes it so special. The few defensemen, I think that can consistently do so because it, I imagine yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, both physically, but also mentally like a, a very challenging thing to execute time and time again. Well, that's what we're doing, right? We're doing in our head analytics, yeah. right? So if I give uh, this guy time and space and, and let all five guys get back and, and give them a, a, a rush opportunity. What are the odds they score? Uh, what if I get in a foot race and lose? What are the odds this guy scores on a breakaway? So, you know, that's on ice analytics where we're trying to make a, a hedge decision. Um, and really, to me, like the modern day defense, the word that I like to think of or try to use is you just want to be a part of the rush. You want to be annoying. You want to be there like every step of the way. You want to be, if the puck's in the left corner, so goalie, the, the team that we're shooting on, that goalie's right, you know, like my left, my far corner. Yep. I want to be as close up on that op opposite winger, my winger, as I can be. Like I want to be sitting right on top. I want to be touching pants to pants and just sitting there ready for, whatever rush so that every single way I'm a tattoo. Like I am, I am so close to him at all times where it gets really difficult is when you have to gap up after like a rush. And then, you know, this guy's already got so much time and speed. There's just really not an opportunity to do so. Uh, or when they're able to reorganize the rush, you'll see this player like come up, try and push a demon back and then come back again and mm -hmm. reloop. You'll see a lot of that, like four on four or definitely three on three where there's a lot more ice yep. five on five. It's tough. Um, but the true 
it's always in our mind to gap up and match speed and try and get as close up as he can. And then I love it too, where I've seen there's certain teams that have a certain level of, I, I'm trying to remember who it's been so long. Um, well, I guess not so long because we had the playoffs, but <laughs> since I was really in the fight, uh, really paying attention, like I had to play, but there is like certain teams where they have no problem with a little bit of neutral zone confrontation or ask their demon to, okay, maybe if you're in a scenario where you're not totally confident you could beat this guy if you had to race back to your own net, but create a confrontation, make this guy change direction. Right. Because we're going to have such great tracking over the, you know, through the middle that are forwards and it's going to, they're going to get them just from, uh, you know, especially when you see the, the numbers in the defensive team's uh, favor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, all right, as a defense, I actually love that play. I think it's a cool play. Yeah. Although the sort of the neutral zone confrontation where you're just trying to yeah, slow down. Yeah, where the D-men have like uh, a green light to either in a read they made or a conversation to sort of sacrifice themselves to become a, a problem for the op- other team's puck carrying forward. And then, you know, you just get that smother effect where, you know, F1 comes back, F2 comes back. You know, this forward just felt like there were 10 guys on the ice. Well, the question you have to ask yourself in this league all the time is sort of what are you willing to live with, right? And I think um, the reward system, the reward system in the NHL especially can be sometimes so conservative where um, I understand where a coach might want you to, to play back because you're sort of delaying the inevitable in a way, whereas if you're too aggressive, you could really wind up in trouble. And I think I'd much more prefer that aggressive approach of trying to nip the play in the bud at the at the point of origin as opposed to kind of waiting and letting them come in with, with speed. So it's interesting to hear you say that uh, you agree with that as well. Well, so there was a question, you know, I think there was an experiment in the NHL a couple of years ago that fascinated everybody was the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, we've been so spoiled here now uh, with entertainment the last couple of years between, you know, COVID is is maybe not a blessing by the NHL, but it definitely was entertaining to go through the whole experiment of how these guys are going to come back. St. Louis going and, you know, from last to what they're able to do, uh, you know, in terms of the Stanley Cup final, Washington finally winning, but beating, you know, Vegas Golden Knights team. Uh, there was a player on their team, a defenseman that I asked, because I, I, I had played with him and I, I called him up and said, hey, you know, the amount of guys that had career years on that club, Yep. Like what was in the, what was in the water? What was some of the secret sauce? You know, and of course he was only willing to share so much, but <laughs> part of the conversation was uh, avoiding risk or play that wasn't necessarily aggressive was scolded. Right. Like as if you were you were playing a, to play a safe game was dangerous for them and 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 not a, allowed in their culture. And I think you saw a lot of guys pinned in roles where they had little leash. They weren't able to, you know, try and play their best self. They were, they were just trying to, you know, stay in a lineup kind of thing elsewhere, uh, really flourish. And that's where you saw all those career years. And I think it was something that, you know, I definitely know at the time I was, I was fascinated. I couldn't watch enough of and, and try and steal something because I was in a similar spot, you know, still am. Well, so this is okay. So that's that's a great segue. This is why you're becoming a podcasting professional because you didn't even know it. But I, my next thing that I was going to get into with you was, uh, especially as a defenseman, sort of the different types of four checks you'd face and whether you'd prefer, um, you know, your kind of traditional like you know that when you go back to retrieve the puck, uh, the guy coming in is probably going to finish his check, but you know that you'll have a play to make and you just take that hit as opposed to, um, 
you know, the more kind of modern day approach where might be a little bit less sort of conventionally physical, but it's going to be a player who's going to use their speed and their smarts to uh, kind of have an active stick and really kind of hound you that way and make you make a play with limited time and space. And Vegas, that was their bread and butter, especially in their inaugural year where they, where they made that run to the cup final, where like, especially that top line of Marcia, so Carlson and Riley Smith, like good luck getting the puck cleanly out of your defensive zone and through the neutral zone against those guys because they were just tenaciously as sort of a five-man unit really with whichever defensemen were out there uh, just sort of clogging everything up and causing so many quick turnovers and sort of using that frantic nature to their advantage to to create chances and so um, how do you feel about that as a defenseman in terms of um, whether you'd kind of prefer the physicality or whether uh, you, you'd kind of like to shy away from the player who's going to make you work more uh, with sort of a – might be a smaller player who skates a bit faster but might make you work in different ways? I think I personally would invite the contact. Yeah. I think when any time you can have a tell and know what a player is going to do, uh, you're able to prepare for that play. Uh, if you're really going to put yourself in harm's way, you know maybe there's another way to solve that, that puzzle that is breaking out. Um, and that is the conversation like around, uh, Vegas that, that first year, I remember just how the pace at which they were going to come very similar Tampa for years has had a brutal, uh, defensive engagement. Like you knew one of the coaching points every time I've ever played against, you know, Tampa was there's not a ton you can coach for against the rush. Cause now it's going to happen so fast. And every single one guys are in different spots. And usually the mistake was already made up the ice. Like they've already got four guys and you've got two. There's only so much you can do. Yep. Um, you know, you can you can either hold the middle or kind of go at them and hope that they don't make enough plays in time for your other back checkers to get back. But one of the conversations we had was their defense are extremely active down the wall. Like unless you're able to totally flip by those guys uh, or exit throughout the middle, it's going to be tough to get out. You know, and especially if you think about like I'm a right shot demon, like their left side, you know, with Sergachev, Colburn, Victor Hedman, like you got to flick this puck. 35 feet up in the air to get it over some of these guys yeah. you know um so I, I think uh i would always rather know particularly what a player is going to do and i think that predictability helps me understand what my goal is going back when you kind of don't know if a guy's going to play off you there's a little bit of a cat and mouse there you might be might you, you might be right you might be wrong and that's you know how skilled the game's gotten. Well, and that's why I don't think it's any coincidence that they went out and specifically targeted this guy and why he had such success for them. And it's your former teammate, Blake Coleman, where he fit really well into exactly what you're saying with that Tampa model of sort of that, that functional physicality where he can certainly lay the body and, and, and punish you that way. But like his, his speed and his tenacity and pairing him with uh, Yanni Gord, like that was like such a, I imagine as an opposing defenseman, that'll be such an annoying combination to play against because you just never know what they're going to do, but you know it's going to be kind of annoying for you trying to deal with them and getting the puck out of your zone. Well, and certain teams have this DNA. You saw Vegas go out and acquire, you know, Mark Stone and mm-hmm. uh, Patch Reddy, guys with elite sticks, guys that are long, you know, big, strong guys that, yeah, if they need to be physical, they can, but they're they're going to be smart and try and, you know, outpoise or out, out you know, cat and mouse you. Uh, Boston, you know, their fourth line with Wagner, Corrali, and uh, who else? Am I? Uh, Nordstrom, who was there. Like, that's a line. They're not necessarily going to hit you, but they're not going to not hit you. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if they have a great hit, they'll take it. Yep. You know, Wagner is a little bit more physical, Corrali, but same thing where they just have this this buzzing nature where they're going to be able to get in and get into your hands, your stick. Like, your hands and your stick are what's going to make the play. Right. 
so if you can occupy a defenseman there, you've got an opportunity to stay in the zone. And you know every second you stay there, you don't have to deal with a counterattack. You don't have to deal with a rush against because everyone stopped and slow. Uh, and then ideally you're able to eventually tire these guys out and, and change because no one's taking a you know no one's going for a change in the defensive zone. So you can guarantee you're going to play against the same five guys if you can just stay there. Uh, and you can almost guarantee that you can get guys on that are fresh coming from behind them if they if they'll commit to you know changing the offensive zone. All right, last one. Favorite defenseman to watch these days? Oh God, I love uh, Jared Spurgeon. Yeah, he's someone I watch a lot. Similar size, uh, great skater. Ryan Ellis was a favorite all the way from you know his uh, his OHL days in Windsor. I wanted to play in Windsor, and then I almost did, and and that was you know a story for another time. Uh, I love you know Kale McCarr. He's so explosive that you know there's just not a lot of demon that. You know, came in uh, moving like him. I'm trying to think who else. Drew Doughty's still a classic. Mm-hmm. Like you can't forget, you can't forget the guys that have been, you know, in the in the top of their game for a long time. Duncan Keith's a Chicago favorite. I just think he's so crafty and unorthodox in certain ways he does things. All right. Well. Uh, and and Miro and Klinger. I'll go with those two too. Yeah. I, I play with those two guys, and they were a treat too. You studs. You play with with uh, rookie Miro. I did, yeah. and you know that that was uh, I was all excited for that one. I was I was playing pretty well and ended up, you know, getting hurt there. But we we're playing, you know, twenty plus a night there by the end of it, and that was my goal. I recognized, you know, what a player he was. We go back to this primary, you know, complementary pairing thing, and I knew, all right, if I can fit with this kid, like, and we can just be a good pair, because yeah. that's what the coach, you know, in his mind, uh, that's what they're putting out there. If I can you know, and uh, entrench myself and give the assistant coach uh, some trust to put this pair out. We're, we're golden. And uh wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Um, well, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's quite the player. He's, uh, I'm sure it makes the life, life a lot easier sure. for you as a defenseman when your partner can do all the stuff he can. He's a stud. <laughs> he's a stud. Elite skate. I don't think I've ever saw him, like, go down to his knees. Like, you know, a player, like, is standing up and then will kind of throw their stick across their knees when they're tired. Yep. Uh, he's got such great glide and such good aerobic anaerobic system. I don't think I saw him touch his knees once practice or game. All right, man. Um, well, we're going to get out of here. I'll let you plug some stuff. Where can people yep. check out your show? What can they expect from that moving forward? Uh, give them all the good stuff there. I'm at the curious competitor podcast. Um, on Instagram at Connor Carrick. I'm on Twitter at Connor Carrick. And I, I love, uh, talking about the inertia of, of getting on your own side. How can you, you know, use curiosity as a fuel to, you know, build the habits that eventually build you. That's what I talk about every day. So awesome, man. Uh, if you're into that, come join us. You'll find a bunch of nerds like me. Well, keep at it. It's been really fun to see uh, that journey blossom for you. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. And uh, thanks for taking the time to come chat, man. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this again. Sometime Dimitri, anytime. Glad we nailed it. Anytime, anytime. Reach out. Appreciate it, man. All right. That's going to be it for today's episode of the hockey PDO cast. Hopefully you enjoyed my chat with Connor Carrick. And if you did, uh, certainly recommend going and listening to his podcast, The Curious Competitor with Connor Carrick, as he said. And uh, if you did enjoy the show and you have been enjoying it, uh, please consider taking a minute to go leave us a rating and review. Uh, it goes a long way. It's really easy to do. You can just leave the five stars, but if you also got time and the energy and the appetite to do so, uh, you can leave a little message there letting us know um, what you like about the show, what it means to you. 
it, it's it's huge it really helps the podcast out but it also means a lot to me personally i really appreciate everyone that's already done so and everyone that will do so uh, after listening to this so um yeah that's going to be it for for this week we're going to come back next week we're going to keep doing um some deep dives we're going to do some uh, more rebuildables we're going to do uh if you enjoyed the one we did about the detroit red wings with prashant thayer we're going to do uh some of the other teams that um are requiring uh deep uh grand scale rebuilds and we're going to talk about what they should do so uh we have that to look forward to and plenty of other off-season content including the return of the rewatchables and other uh fun kind of random big picture philosophical stuff like we just did with connor so hopefully you enjoyed that and hopefully you'll keep um listening to the show as we work our way through this off-season until uh games come back which will hopefully be at some point uh down the road so uh thanks for listening thanks for subscribing thanks for rating and reviewing and we will be back soon the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast